the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 256 for April 24th, 2011. AT&T gets the ball rolling to acquire T-Mobile, iPhones tracking user locations, and forget about the iPhone 5, we're talking about what's coming in the iPhone 6. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. The show is also supported by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available for Android and the iOS for $1.99. Well, happy Easter to everybody out there. We're going to get into the news in just a second, but first we want to talk about Sprint and Google's partnership that they announced back in March and Joey's experience in migrating his Google Voice number over to Sprint. Now, the launch date is set for this week, April 26th, though it looks like some folks like Joey have already been able to move their number, that Google Voice number, over to Sprint. So Joey, let's hear about what happened with you this week and uh, just how easy it was. Well, basically, I got the email that uh, said uh, this uh, feature is now available. And when I logged into my Google Voice account, it had the uh, a big dialog dialogue box that said, "Okay, you can now do the Sprint integration." Um, for me, I went with option number two. They give you both choices to do uh, your Google Voice number into your uh, Sprint line. Uh, that's what I did. And your other option, which I think more people will actually use, is uh, migrating your Sprint number over to Google Voice. So um, basically what it does is when you pick option one, there's one caveat that you'll lose your Google Voice number after about a month. So that'll go away. And I suppose whenever you break the relationship, which you can just do with a click of a button, uh, probably a new Google Voice number will be generated for you at that time. That's my assumption. I don't exactly know that, but that would have to be uh, probably how it works unless it just closes your account. But that doesn't seem like a very uh, viable option. For me, I went with the other way, which uh, which is what I prefer because I like my Google Voice number better. It's got uh, it's a little a little crafty. Um, plus it gives me the ability to keep my sprint number as well. So, um, if people who've had my sprint number for years and text message me and call me, they, I don't have to update them still. Uh, they will, the call still get to me and the SMS still get to me. Whereas, uh, now when I make outgoing calls, which this really took place immediately, as soon as I click the button, uh, my caller ID now shows my Google voice number as opposed to my sprint number and SMSs, of course, work just fine and show my Google voice number. So it's, to me, it's a, a great transition because that's exactly what I wanted. And it's, it's like when you use the, the application and you make the outgoing calls with the application, this just takes that one, one layer out of it and I can just turn it off at any time. Now, I know there were a lot of people that asked you questions this week, and there's a couple of, of pretty big ones that come to my mind. Number one, you you did mention this, that your your Sprint number that you were, quote-unquote, replacing is still in place. So if someone does call or text that number, uh, or I think even the bigger issue with this is if someone were to send you an MMS message, that is the number that they would have to send it to, correct? Uh, that, yes, yes, you are. I, I think you're right about that. I, um, I, I'm sure that would work. I haven't tested that. It's a good thing to actually try. Uh, if you send it to your Google voice number, you won't get it. It just, uh, I'm not actually sure what happens. I've really never get MMSs or anything. So uh, yeah, nothing will happen. And if you send an MMS, it shows like it's coming from your cell phone. I do know that that was in specifically in the, uh, the, the facts and, and Google actually has a pretty good detailed fact section. I actually read the entire document before I made the switch to make sure there wasn't some caveat I was missing before I did it. Uh, and, and, and also I wanted to make sure it was completely reversible if I didn't like it as well. So, um, there's, they do have actually a, a good amount of documentation on this particular integration, but it's a really, really, really neat feature to have. So one of the, the, the questions that came up that I, I know this is one of those like kind of in the back of your mind things that'll happen is what about the any mobile anytime? Because it used to be a, you know, when you're making a call, you'd have to choose to make a call from your sprint number so that you'd get the sprint calling, uh, you know, any mobile anytime thing. What is that? What happens with Google Voice? Well, they claim that it, uh, it, it still works. And if I'm doing any mobile or, or mobile to mobile, I suppose uh, on older plans, it, it's referred to. Uh, it, it, it does count to mobile to mobile uh, when you're when you're making the uh, the phone calls with that. So um, or receiving them on your Google voice number, because somehow what must be happening, because it, it's interesting, this this really took place quick. I mean, I clicked the button, I made a phone call and my the caller ID was already updated literally that instant. So um, it, Sprint must have uh, the, a database here set up where they, they, they are now referencing the secondary phone number as your phone number as part of a Sprint number. 
uh, that that must be what's happened here. So it's it's really uh, interesting on how it works, and th- that's what they claim. Um, and then one other feature that's different is that when you make an international call, it's going to run through Google Voice. So uh, if you do make international calls, load some minutes up in there. I still have my ten cent uh, credit that it, the account came with. Uh, since I make tons of international calls, uh, it'll use Google Voice for that, which, of course, for most people, that's it'd probably be a heck of a lot cheaper. Um, so that that's the only other real difference, uh, according to the facts uh, on this uh, integration. Now, th- there's, well, both uh, speculation and actual, uh, you know, detailed testing that's been done out there for people that see a big latency when they use Google Voice. Uh, anything that you've experienced with that as of yet in the calls that you've made? Yes, uh, I haven't made that many phone calls yet with the the, the new integration. I don't know if anything's changed uh, at all. But yes, I have experienced phone calls where the latency is up a little too high uh, from what you're used to. And and it it gets to the point where you start talking over uh, over yourself. Because when you've got that uh, long delay between... Uh, the, the, when you've got a long delay between the two callers, what happens is you start saying something, the other person starts saying something at the same time, and then you start, you, you hear it simultaneously. So then you stop, and they're hearing the same thing, so they stop. So then you get these long pauses where you can't figure out who's, who's going to talk because it, it's too much of a delay for normal conversation to really be smooth. Uh, you can get kind of used to it, but 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 if the latency grows longer, it gets really really more d- difficult to uh, to deal with. But uh, I mean, I have had that a few times. It doesn't happen every time, um, and it seems like it's more so with certain callers. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just something I'm sure that uh, will probably improve, uh, especially being kind of integrated with a real carrier. I, I think the standard has to go up at that point, but uh, we'll have to kind of wait and see with that one. I'm pretty excited about this for those that are Google Voice users and you've got a, a Sprint account. Uh, this is a, a great way to go. And like Joey said, there's two options that you can choose from. Launch date is this week, April 26th. And you can choose to either keep your Sprint number or replace your Sprint number with that Google Voice number. And of course, uh, makes a lot of sense if you're someone who's trying to integrate and be able to make uh, calls and have calls come into multiple devices at the same time. It's a great way to go. Uh, we've got a post on it. Go into the show notes and click on it to read more about it. Let's talk about more news stuff this week. First off, reports surfaced this past Wednesday that Apple iPhone users were having their locations logged and retained on their iPhones, and then it would be transferred over to the computer upon a backup. Through the use of a free application, the data could then be plotted on a map to see the history of where the device had been. Apple had not commented on the discovery at the time of this recording. Now, according to Tipby, John Gruber says that the database is storing iOS device location data is actually more of a bug and not some sort of invasive hidden tracker that's being used by Apple. He says that the consolidated.db acts as a cache for location data and that historically data should have been getting culled, but it isn't either due to a bug or more likely an oversight. So what he's saying basically is that during the next iOS update, look for this particular quote-unquote, bug to be fixed. Now, Android devices have long been doing this practice where they collect user location data, and that gets then used for applications such as Maps or Foursquare or something where you're looking for your your location, where it can easily pull up the the last known location of where you were, and it doesn't have to wait uh, for a GPS signal to be acquired. Uh, The Wall Street Journal says that Android device location information is collected at its location every few seconds, but then it's actually transmitted to Google at least several times an hour Google has been forthcoming about the location data practices, and they say that they use the data to generate live traffic information for Google Maps. Now, I did this. uh, I've got an iPhone. I, of course, back it up all the time and uh, grabbed this little phone tracker app that uh, was created and pulled it up. And sure enough, it was showing a whole bunch of dots in Arizona. Interesting to note, of course, this information is only available for backups on your device or on your computer from your phone. So I had recently, uh, just kind of ironically, went through and deleted all of the old iPhone backups that I had because I had like 13 different backups. And so in the iPhone that I have now, I've only had for a couple of months and I've never traveled with it. And so all the dots that I have are all showing in relatively the same location. And so I, I, I didn't get to see all that interesting of information with this, but it certainly showed me the few places that I have been. And I, I find this, um, this kind of curious because 
when when this first came out, of course, people were saying, "Hey, this is this is a pretty big deal. You know, your information can easily be pulled because any unsecured computer, this app can be downloaded and you can run it on it. And if there's an iPhone backup on it, it will tell you where that where that person has been. Implications go from anywhere from you know you could someone could be embarrassed about where they've been to some some pretty serious things about being able to track somebody's whereabouts. And so people though have been broadcasting. Uh, their locations of where they've been. It's actually becoming a trend on Flickr. If you go on Flickr and search for iPhone location, I think it is. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of people who have posted the maps of the places that they've been, which is kind of uh, an interesting thing. I personally enjoy sometimes keeping the information to myself about the places that I've been, and I like to look at that kind of stuff. I think it's neat. But uh, the way that this is being done, of course, raises some concerns. And um, I I can see both sides of this one right here. And I'm kind of on the side of uh, Mr. Gruber, and I think this is going to be fixed with an OS update. I'm sure it will be. It's something that, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the phones do record your location. They have full, you know, really detailed GPSs in them. Uh, Things like traffic data and and Google is all about the crowdsourcing. And, you know, this is one sort of aspect that they want. Also, Apple is as well. I I think they were creating, I think I read that they wanted to create an online database of where to connect to Wi-Fi and and, and other things like that. You know, these, these really do... Uh, location data really is uh, important when you can combine it all together and create a, a big, powerful database. Your particular location really isn't that interesting to uh, the, the manufacturers. Uh, but of course, you know, personally, when it is attached to your device, then it is because yes, like you said, there's a lot of, you know, implications uh, for different people, different jobs, classifications here. I mean, it, it can go down the line, but but of course, this is kind of the, the time we're living in here where it's if you're going to be carrying this really sophisticated device with you, you don't always know what it is exactly doing here. Just like when we just learned about, uh, you know, Pandora uploading your personal information to their servers, they could easily be uploading your personal exact location to their servers as well. You don't see it because it's no longer on your device because it's sent up in real time, but they know exactly where you're at because I, I know Pandora wanted my GPS information off my uh, BlackBerry and I denied it. Um, if they want that information, they're going to get it and they know exactly where I'm sitting. Like they can, you know, come find me, which of course they're not, but that is something you really have to keep in mind. And of course the flip side of thing, most people don't care if their phone or the app that they're running knows where they're at because it really doesn't matter. I mean, in the most times it really doesn't. So uh, that's where you get the people saying, well, I don't care. And the other people's like, this is a really, really big deal. And, you know, you have to kind of meet somewhere in the middle to to give the services that people really want to have uh, on their phone. So it's it's a really it's a really tough thing to 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 really boil down. Which way should it be? Hmm. Well, the uh, the technologyreview.com website posted a, a very interesting article about how people are actually broadcasting their locations without meaning to. And mostly this comes from geotagging. And when you take pictures a lot of devices will automatically turn on the geotagging feature for the pictures that are taken. Blackberries are notorious for this. Um, the iOS and iPhone devices do this, but they ask you before they do. That leads to another topic, which is you are really opting into almost every single thing where you're being tracked on your device. There's The location-based services can easily be turned off on iOS devices so that when apps that you're using do not take advantage of the GPS that's in there, or you can pick and choose which ones that you want to have that can do that. But the majority of people are, are really opting in to make this happen and are saying that it's okay by choosing uh, okay when that little box pops up that says, the camera would like to use your location. Are you okay with this? You click okay, and you're opting in. And, and when you take that picture then, the, the geotagging information is stored in that picture, and then you send that to somebody, you send it through TwitPic, you upload it to Flickr, and anyone who grabs that picture can dissect that information out of it and tell exactly where you took the picture. And in many cases, that'll be a home uh, an office or something like that, and you just you've got to be careful with it. You got to know what you're doing with your devices, and and that's a great point. You know, for me, that's completely obvious. Of course, if I have the GPS turned on uh, due to geolocation on there, that picture, I, I that better be a public location where that picture is taken at. Uh, but you know what? I think you're, you're. It's great you mentioned that because maybe not everybody realizes that 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 once that information gets sucked into that image, whenever you upload it, that information is still part of it. Not it didn't go away because it's not on your phone anymore. 
it's still in that image. And that's a, a great point because y- even though you can't see that data, it's still there. Uh, I mean, if you pull up a digital image on Flickr, you can see what camera it was taken, what the shutter speed was, what if the flash was on or not, what angle the camera was at when the picture was taken. All that EXIF data is still in the in the picture, even though you can't see it. Uh, it's there. And that's one thing you really do have to keep in mind. I'm personally, uh, I'm concerned about privacy. I, I, I try and keep it in mind as much as possible. Sometimes I forget about this kind of stuff, but uh, it's it's important. Even if you're not concerned about just, you know, in general, people knowing where you are, it's good to just be be cautious of this at the very least. You know, it really is. There's 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 one thing that that I really take to heart with this stuff is that privacy, it's it's it, you know, it's tough to keep a lid on. And let's say your location gets out uh, somewhere on something. It's permanently gone. It's permanently in the hands of somebody else, which then they can move it to somebody else. They can copy it to somebody else. It can it can spread uh, once it's out. Like if your Flickr image with your geolocation is out, you can't pull it back. I mean, even though you can delete the file, somebody may have grabbed it. Uh, and then that person can transfer to anybody they want. Just like if they get your email address, you, you know that it's it's gone because it'll be on every spammer's list for from now until eternity because it's going to be copied and copied and copied. You want to keep that from happening in the first place. And that's why this is a big deal. Yeah. And I, again, I don't want to, I don't want to get people, in, you know, to the side of, of being just neurotic about, you know, feeling in fear that they're, you're going to, you're going to find yourself in a situation where you share your location and everything is going to fall apart. But just be extremely conscious of when you're doing things like this. And the photo thing is one that, that came up and, and I thought it was really great to, you know, that someone talked about it. So that's why I wanted to share it. It is. And, and, and there's just one thing to add with this. If you really are that paranoid, you really should just cancel your, your cell phone because the carrier knows where you're at and they log where you're at all the time anyway. So this data is already part of it. And it always is no matter what kind of cell phone you have. Even if you have the, the dumbest dumb phone, the carrier still has your record of locations of where you're at. Not necessarily the super accurate GPS location, but uh, they, they know basically in the general vicinity where you're at. So uh, you really can't escape it if you have a cell phone at all. So moving from where your information is something that you are sharing to having somebody else take your data from you without you knowing. Uh, Michigan State Police have been accused of confiscating cell phone data at traffic stops, whether or not you give them the option to do so. Since 2008, state police in Michigan have been operating under a policy that lets them take and search all data on your cell phone without a warrant, without your consent, and without any reason to believe that you may have done anything wrong. They extract the data through the use of one of five mobile computer forensic devices that they bought from Celebrite, and that can bypass your own security, take your pictures, text messages, emails, documents, and even the GPS data. There's no actual defined policy, though, with the Michigan State Police, and there's really no concrete data as to how they're actually doing this. It's it's a very very curious story, and I don't have a lot of information on it, but this one really got me thinking this week. You know, it is something that is very scary because, uh, you know, we've really kind of turned away from privacy or obviously with the Patriot that we had uh, under the last administration, it has really eroded a lot of electronic rights uh, that we've kind of been enjoying for a while here. I'm not saying it's all bad, but uh, some of these things are a little creepy. I mean, this is not, uh, this isn't very good. I'm really glad the story's out there and we can give it some attention. So, uh, you know, uh, the, the ACLU can really look at this uh, and and try to get some some questions answered here, and uh, you know I feel like I'm donating some money to them so they can dig into this because this is this is very creepy. And I I saw something actually in the Minneapolis uh, paper this week similar to this. It it it, it was a uh, uh, text message enforcement day they had had. I believe it was Thursday this week here in the Twin Cities and. Uh, the newspaper actually re- uh, recanted a story, or not recanted, but uh, uh, told, told the story. This driver had a cell phone in his hand, and a trooper had, w- was spotting cars going by and saw that. So he then uh, pointed him out, this particular vehicle, out to another trooper waiting, and they, they pulled him over and asked to search the phone to see if he was text messaging during this time. That's not how it works. It, 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 this isn't the law that, uh, I mean, he did allow him to do that. But honestly, if you don't see the person text messaging, that's not valid for them to even ask that because that's guilty until proven innocent. 
and that's completely against our rights here. And this is this is frustrating to me. I do get worked up about this because he could have been just holding on to the phone for just holding on to its sake. He could have been looking at the GPS navigation on there, which is completely legal. Uh, it, it's, you know, yes, you can't email, you can't text message, but you can do anything else on the phone. And being pulled over and, and, and asking to search the device because you may have been text messaging holding the phone, that's, uh, that's not how it works here. And that's, that really, really makes me mad. Let's go back to this Michigan story real quick. I, I'm, I don't have a, a real solid grasp about this because I know that's going to be the first question that people ask with this is, well, how are they doing this? Is this is this being done through Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or what is what is the technical background of how they're doing this? And I don't have a good answer because it's not really it's not really explained. And that's even, I think, more scary here. What I believe what, what my best guess is, and I should have probably looked up cel- celebrate here, but it's it, it what I'm, I'm sure it does is it does the uh, the universal mass storage read on whatever comes up like your your data card you know when you plug in your blackberry or your android phone it shows up as a mass storage device so you have access to the to the sd card usually um in the files on there so it probably copies all that to their system then it probably has a number of known chipsets like qualcomm chipsets in there where it can access the the lower lower level data on the phone as well um which usually has things like the sms and your phone number and some of the other information that are in there uh, also, I'm sure there's the GSM modes where it does the same thing, where you've gone into with software and you can do the, the lower level programming um, and, and just extract all the information that way, because there is a lot there is a lot on the phone and it's fairly common, the chipsets, because they're, they're, there's only a handful of them out there. They, they have different varieties, but they all use the same software basis. But this is done wirelessly. They're able to do this. No, they'd have to connect it uh, via USB. Okay, okay, and I guess or, maybe... or or whatever the cable is. I'm sure this device has a has a a, a big pile of of connectors to connect to a, a whole bunch of different types of phones. Okay, maybe that's what I missed. I read over in this story. Is I thought they were just. Well, it doesn't say that, but I'm I'm inferring that because I'm sure that's how it works. The, yeah, the Celebrate devices that I'm that I'm seeing here, this this UFED Physical Pro. I mean, this is you you are connecting the device, and I can see that. You know, if if you're doing that, if you're getting physical access to the device, that makes sense. Wireless wouldn't have this sort of information. I mean, yeah. Bluetooth uh, that has very limited what you can get out of Bluetooth, and that would basically be the only thing that would give you any sort of information. So it, it has to be connected via the the connector, not necessarily USB. Yeah, well, either way, uh, pretty interesting stuff here. And I'll put a link, of course, to uh, these stories here, because if you're, you're anyone who wants to, uh, to learn more about this, it's, it's good stuff to know about. And just make sure uh, that you're comfortable with what's happening uh, in your day-to-day wireless world. Yeah, and this uh, Celebrate I'm just looking at right now, yeah, it's got a briefcase full of different connectors. I, I can see it right there. There's, I mean, there's at least 50 or 60 different uh, connectors for phones in there. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. And much fewer needed now, pretty much everything over to the mini or micro USB. And uh, so they'll only need one or two here moving forward. Well, let's move on. The European Commission on Monday voted in legislation requiring governments to allow LTE and WiMAX 4G services on the 900 and 1800 megahertz bands. The commission says they want to want the existing spectrum being used by operators for 2G and 3G services to also be available for the enhanced networks of tomorrow and won't require the purchase of additional spectrum. So great news for the operators in European countries that will be seeing 4G on 900 and 1800. And Apple on Wednesday reported its second quarter, best second quarter ever, setting a non-holiday quarter record of $24.67 billion in revenue and nearly $6 billion in profits. iPhone sales increased 113% from the prior year, with a total of 18.65 million units sold during the three-month period. Sales in America and Asia-Pacific regions more than doubled year-over-year, and strong growth in the enterprise segment fueled the spike. COO Tim Cook said that 88% of Fortune 500 companies are testing or deploying iPhones in the workplace, including Cisco, Boston Scientific, and Xerox. Now, the quarter also ended with 9 million iPods and 4.69 million iPads sold. This brings the total of iOS-based devices to 189 million cumulative devices at the end of the quarter. Cook also addressed the impact of the recent earthquake and tsunami in Japan on Apple's business, and he said the company expects no material impact on its supply chain or costs, at least for the first half of this year, though he did express a small degree of uncertainty about the impact during the second half. And regarding Samsung, Apple said that they do not expect that there would be any change in the relationship with them and their component supplies going forward. 
This is in spite of Apple's recently filed lawsuit alleging Samsung's mobile division has copied their hardware and software designs of both the iPhone and the iPad. And when asked about LTE, Cook said the first generation of LTE chipsets force a lot of design compromises with the handset, and some of those we are just not willing to make. And so we're extremely happy with the iPhone 4 and iPhone 3GS at this point. Hitting 18.6 million units was something much larger than we thought we could do this quarter. So great, great earnings here from uh, from Apple. We're going to talk in a little bit about this LTE comment, uh, but let's talk a little bit more about some other earnings. Nokia on Thursday released its Q1 results with lower market share and profits. The smartphone maker's share fell to 26% worldwide. That's down from 41% last year and 31% last quarter. Nokia estimated that overall handset market share was 29% in the quarter, which is down from 33% last year and 31% in the fourth quarter. And operating profits fell 17%, though overall phone shipments rose 1% to $108.5 million in just that quarter. Nokia's CEO Stephen Elop said that while the quarter was solid, the next will be a more challenging time. However, he is encouraged about the company's roadmap for mobile. And with its earnings report this week, Apple became the world's largest phone vendor in terms of revenue for the first quarter of the year. The filings show that Apple, for the first time, leapt ahead of Nokia with revenue of $11.9 billion versus Nokia's $9.4 billion. Apple has held the title of highest industry profits, receiving over half of the world's profits on phones for the past couple of years. AT&T on Wednesday reported its Q1 earnings, breaking through to the best first quarter in the company's history. AT&T reported a first quarter revenue of $31.2 billion, which is about 2% higher than the first quarter of 2010. Total wireless subscribers were up 2.0 million, bringing the carrier to 97.5 million subscribers in service. Postpaid subscriber ARPU was up 2.4% to $63.39, the ninth consecutive quarter with a year-over-year increase. The carrier activated 3.6 million iPhones, that's up 1 million over the prior year. The number accounted for approximately 60% of smartphone sales, with the rest going to Android, BlackBerry, and Windows Phone 7 devices. An AT&T filed paperwork with the FCC to begin the official federal process to acquire T-Mobile. The filing says that the merger between the two carriers will be good for consumers and will push the industry forward. AT&T says the combined company will bring high-speed 4G LTE service to over 97% of the U.S. population at a much faster pace than the company could do alone. AT&T believes that the merger will create jobs, spur economic growth in small towns, and is aligned with the Obama administration's broadband plan. It notes that the acquisition will benefit consumers by reducing the number of dropped and blocked calls, increasing data speeds, and improving in-building coverage, as well as dramatically expanding deployment of next-generation mobile technology. AT&T says between 2007 and 2010, the amount of data traffic they've had to deal with has increased 8,000% to 10 petabytes of data per month. Because of this, they say they face network capacity constraints more severe than those of any other wireless provider. Joey, those numbers to me are just staggering. And when they put it that way, of course, I, I feel I feel for AT&T. I go, boy, they really need some, some help here. And maybe acquiring T-Mobile is the way to go. Obviously, we've seen a lot of people come back at them and said, Look, guys, you know, th- th- this is one way to go about it, but it definitely isn't the only way that you can increase your capacity for what you need to do for your consumers. Well, if we boil this down, you know, it just occurred to me here when you were just finishing that up, T-Mobile has been for sale. So basically, regardless of uh, who picked up T-Mobile, somebody was going to, and we were going to lose a, another carrier because I don't think they were probably going to be call, you know, bought out by a different company to run them. Uh, if they weren't that profitable or, or, or weren't, wasn't that great out in the marketplace, you know, somebody would have picked them up and purchased them and operated them as a separate unit. But I think uh, the competition is, is, you know, obviously very tough and the expenses to run these networks are, are absolutely huge. Uh, and of course, you know, AT&T kind of makes sense because they're both GSM car- carriers uh, in the spectrum, you know, they're compatible. So, you know, that's kind of where it was going to fall. Yeah, I guess. And I, you know, Sprint has come out uh, a couple of times this week, even just saying, you know, expressing their concerns over it and and how this is going to impact the market. And, you know, of course, the whole duopoly approach and saying, look, this is this is not going to be good for the consumer. This is going to create a situation where you've got uh, just really two big carriers out there. And then you're going to have a number of smaller carriers that are that are going to suffer because of it. Yeah, and it's uh, it's gonna, it's probably going to be good for AT and T customers, and that's probably about it. 
Hmm. Well, I I hope so as an AT and T customer, though I'm not sure how lo- much longer I will be, and that, that really just depends on uh, you know I guess what they do. We'll we'll have to see here. Verizon on Thursday released its Q1 earnings, reporting a 6.3 percent increase in service revenues and a 22.3 percent increase in data revenues from the prior year. The carrier's churn fell to 1.01 percent, and it added 1.8 million net additions. This was mostly fueled by the 2.2 million new iPhones bringing the carrier to 104 million total connections. That's up 6% over last year. The largest carrier in the U.S. also revealed that it activated more than 260,000 HTC Thunderbolts in the last two weeks of the quarter, and more than half a million 4G devices were activated during that quarter as well. The results also answer the question that had been on many people's minds on whether the HTC Thunderbolt was beating the iPhone in sales for the carrier. Verizon says it sold 2.2 million iPhones in the six weeks the handset was available versus 260,000 Thunderbolts in the two weeks that it was available. On average, Verizon is selling about 360,000 iPhones and about 130,000 Thunderbolts each and every week. Very impressive numbers for those two. I mean, that, that, that is a lot of handsets to be going out every week. Uh, it, it, iPhone, it's... Uh, it, it's not surprising to me that the iPhone didn't, you know, turn into this huge explosion for Verizon because honestly, the iPhone 4 had already been out for many, many months and everybody who really wanted an iPhone had, you know, what, three years or four years to switch to AT&T to get the iPhone. So it's, it wasn't going to be just an overnight uh, blast success, but I think Verizon actually probably prefers it this way that, you know, all of a sudden their network just wasn't crushed, you know, by it, it's an absolute influx of people buying iPhones. Um, and, and I think this is, uh, and obviously we haven't seen any issues with Verizon's network yet. Um, but, uh, the Thunderbolt, it's very impressive what they've done with it. So going back to the iPhone and just the comparison, like I just mentioned, AT&T activated 3.6 million iPhones in the three month period and Verizon activated uh, 2.2 million in just six weeks. So you're talking about, uh, a num you know, a significantly, bigger number percentage wise per week of iPhones being activated. Now, granted, this is the first six weeks that the device was available on the carrier. So you can't read into this as uh, well. It's just uh, it's absolutely going gangbusters over AT&T, but still seeing AT&T a million iPhones more this year than they activated last year and almost the entire quarter, people knew something was going to happen with the iPhone on Verizon. Yes, I mean we we did know it was coming for many months. I mean, basically, if you uh, you were living under a rock uh, from you know away from the internet, uh, well, it hit mainstream TV after a while here that uh, it was coming to Verizon. So people who did uh, were thinking about uh, an iPhone did sit back and actually wait for it. And yeah, I think that number will slow down a bit for Verizon because yeah, there's there is some pent up demand, but I think it will be uh, continue to be a strong seller for them because. it's a strong network in in many cases, uh, in many, many, many more areas than AT&T. So uh, it's definitely uh, great for consumers to have that choice. Well, and certainly uh, if you look at LTE and the network, they said they, they had 500,000 4G devices activated during the quarter, and this was the first full quarter for them to report numbers. And that's a, that's a decent number. I mean, this, this still feels kind of like a, a high-tech uh, thing you know right now there's not a lot of people looking at 4G as absolute an absolute necessity but for those that appreciate uh, you know speeds of you know 10 megabit per second down and five up uh, then this is certainly something that you're going to want and if you decide to go with Verizon's LTE network they've announced new markets past Monday they announced a number of new markets going live including Brick New Jersey the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania Hilton Head South Carolina Wilmington North Carolina Clarksville Tennessee Cleveland Tennessee uh, Columbia, South Carolina, and Hopkinsville, Kentucky. As with the other networks, those are, of course, about 10 times faster than the current 3G networks that are out there. So they just continue to roll on with new markets across the country. A number of these here, uh, and, you know, actually all of them were on the eastern uh, part of the U.S. And, and we'll just uh, we'll keep going here with this. I'm, I'm pretty impressed with the LTE network so far. I know it's been up and down, especially for some people in big areas. I know at uh, CTIA last month, it wasn't a real great uh, experience for a lot of the reviewers. But uh, overall, I, I see just people with pretty decent success with this and, and using it and pretty much enjoying it. You know, it still is a new network, so I'm sure some of those bugs will be uh, worked out and capacities will probably be increased as they figure out how it really works because uh, it is such a young network. And uh, Verizon really did come through on their promise about uh, getting this pushed out, and they, they're getting it pushed out in a really big way. Yeah, and 
I, I find that LTE is is certainly the, the the wave of the future. This is going to be the future networks that we talk about, and um, we've got some some other WiMAX news here that I want to mention too. Well, what's interesting about the LTE, and like you just said, you know, if for somebody who needs that kind of network speed, this is available now, and it's absolutely awesome that we've got this choice available out there in the in the in the states here. Uh, it, it, but it's it's interesting when we take a step back. Still, I think what is it? The vast majority of people are still on feature phones or dumb phones that don't even have 3G service on their cell phone. So uh, we've got definitely a, a good split going here. But uh, this is definitely something that will take Verizon into the future. Everybody needs more G's, Joey. You got to get the G's. Yeah, right. <laughs> Lots of G's. So the Wall Street Journal on Monday revealed that Sprint is close or was close to a network access deal with both Clearwire and LightSquared. The report said that the deal with LightSquared uh, would have Sprint exchanging use of its infrastructure for the use of Spectrum in rural areas to help Sprint provide coverage in these areas that were currently roaming only. Well, on Tuesday, Sprint and Clearwire indeed announced an agreement for Sprint's use of Clear's WiMAX network. Sprint will pay Clear $1 billion in usage fees over the next two years. And further, the agreement clarifies wholesale pricing for Sprint devices that operate on both Sprint's 3G network and Clearwire's 4G network. This agreement covers usage-based pricing, volume discounts, and minimum payments per 4G device activated. The companies say the new agreement will help them be more competitive moving forward. And I'm glad to see that WiMAX has got some additional uh, funding here because it, it really, over the the last couple of months has felt like they were, were petering out and they needed something. Well, they really do. And it's it's something that they need to continue building the network because it is great to have the competition. We, I mean, we as consumers do need that out in the marketplace. We just don't want to have just Verizon with their their real 4G network out there uh, really having the, the absolute cornerstone on a 4G network because uh, the competition is good for, for everybody for prices and to keep uh, you know variations in service and keep the competition up. Yeah, competition is good. I'll always, uh, I'll always say that. It's very, very good. Sprint on Wednesday announced that it was joining the Rural Carrier Association looking to help lobby the government regarding threats to wireless competition. Sprint says the competitive, car- competitive carriers who make up the RCA are engines of innovation in the wireless industry. At Sprint, we have many issues of mutual concern with RCA members, and we look forward to advocating for policies that promote competition on a level playing field across the wireless industry. So you don't really think of Sprint too much when you when it comes to rural areas, but uh, nonetheless, it's uh, good to see that they're at least moving uh, into you know at least a more diverse uh, type of issue stance that they're making. Well, unfortunately, right now they're the the small they're going to be the small carrier here in the U.S. Uh, as far as a big small carrier, so they're going to have to start doing these uh, this sort of lobbying and uh, into these smaller groups to try to maintain a foothold because uh, they're going to quickly be squeezed out. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. I think Sprint is. I still feel like they've got a lot of they've got a lot of room, and you know, with fifty million subscribers, they it's not like they're just going away. They're still very very strong, and they've they've got some great hardware, some great innovation with things like you know Google Voice, which we just talked about earlier. It's they they, they make a compelling case to have you as their wireless carrier. You know, they always have. I mean, that is why I've always been with Sprint, uh, because they, they do provide very good service on many different levels as well. And it's uh, it's just one thing, though, they realize they're going to have to change their strategy a little bit because they've just been eclipsed by the, the, the two major players. Mm, absolutely. Well, T-Mobile on Tuesday announced a new brand called Bobsled by T-Mobile. The brand covers a number of services and produces uh, what will allow people to connect Others to in various ways. The uh, first application is Bobsled for Facebook. It uses voice over IP to let Facebook users have two-way voice calls through Facebook's browser based on the uh, instant messaging client. The service works with anyone on Facebook and only requires the person initiating the call to have the special plug-in. It can be downloaded at uh, apps.facebook.com slash facebook.com slash bobsled by Timo. Uh, Further, T-Mobile says that a new group text and cloud text features on the Sidekick 4G are also part of that bobsled brand and are just the beginning of changes, including the ability to make Facebook calls on mobile phones as well. What all this has to do with phones, I have no idea. T-Mobile just sent this out as a press release and thought it was kind of interesting. I think it was more of just like a T-Mobile sitting in the corner waving their hand going, hey, look at us this week. We're doing something. (laughs) We need some news out there. Something. I don't know. Anyway. 
Well, thanks to our first sponsor, Square Trade. Protect your investment through a special offer from Square Trade. They offer prices 70% lower than in-store warranties. If you visit squaretrade.com slash junkie, you'll get 25% off your order. They offer a five-day guarantee, meaning you'll either have a fixed device or your money back within five days or less. Go to squaretrade.com slash junkie. Click on Get a Warranty. And once you're done, you'll see your podcast discount in your order summary for 25% off your order. Thanks to Square Trade for sponsoring the show. And if you haven't seen it yet, go to squaretrade.com and right in the middle of the page, they've got the playbook break. They show you just how easy it is for your brand new BlackBerry playbook to break when you drop it from a waist height, uh, from waist height. It's pretty interesting. So click on that video, watch it, and make sure you sign up using squaretrade.com slash junkie for your new devices. Well, during its earnings call this week, Apple CFO Tim Cook answered questions about the future of LTE and the Cupertino company's devices. Cook said the first generation of LTE chipsets force a lot of design compromises with the handset, and some of those we are just not willing to make. So looking at the next generation of hardware, the fifth generation of the iPhone, whether it's called the iPhone 5 or, as some speculate, the iPhone 4S, it will likely not have LTE. But many are thinking it will still hit sometime later this year. September is the current rumored time frame. The device will definitely support the current 3G technologies and possibly HSPA+, which will be rolled out or is being rolled out by AT&T and other carriers around the world. Well, okay, so we've got uh, we've got a new phone coming. We we know that in in LTE it is too early. Like right now with the Thunderbolt, there's two separate chipsets running this thing, and and that just doesn't lend itself to Apple design. We 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 can't fit that in an iPhone right now. I mean, they they need to maximize battery life because that's what really makes people happy about the iPhone. Uh, you, you know that if you've looked at the circuit board when they do the the iFixit teardowns, for example, I mean, there's just nothing on that circuit board. Uh, it's it's absolutely stunning what they've done with the design and lte uh, chips right now that, that can't be done that's just not going to be possible uh so i mean that right there is the that's the design compromises they have to make because it, it goes against what apple really stands for all right so if we've got no lte what does that mean for verizon this year well CFO Fran Shamo said Apple's next generation iPhone would be a world phone this week. He said it would be capable of using CDMA here in the US and in uh, GSM networks worldwide. So we've we've heard a lot of rumors about uh, a next generation iPhone being kind of a unified device. And I, I think we've heard this actually for quite a few months here, probably even before the iPhone, uh, the Verizon iPhone release. And that, uh, of course, makes absolute perfect sense. We've we, we know we have the chipsets out there for for this. That's what's already in the Verizon iPhone. It's already a it's already a global chipset in there that can handle GSM. Um Apple's if you if you look at Apple's perspective uh, and they've already you know admitted this they didn't want multiple iPhones they wanted one they wanted one global iPhone and that's what they made uh CDMA doesn't fit into that but now it does because we have those chipsets available the Apple can Apple can make one iPhone in different sizes that works all over the world with GSM 3G uh, CDMA all these bands all with one chip that's what they're going to go with. Oh, I mean, why wouldn't you? You've got one SKU. It makes it much, much cheaper to buy these processors because you're buying them in just mass quantities. Your engineering and design time is, of course, cut in you know half or even more if you're having to make custom design chips for, uh, for example, a T-Mobile. Uh, it's just, it, it's really, um, it, it's really, of course, the way it's got to be because that's how Apple can do what they do uh, with these great designs and these really cutting edge devices for you know honestly fairly reasonable prices well here's one of the other thing with this too is with uh you know with verizon's move to the uh, cdma 1x advanced svdo uh, there will be certainly a lot of consideration to bring this to this next generation of iphone they use the qualcomm chips and those can bring that simultaneous voice and data making uh that a reality for verizon phones as we have right now with the thunderbolt so then you don't have to uh, compromise as an iPhone owner, which, of course, this is what Apple wants. Uh, oh, oh, we got to go with AT&T because uh, I want the simultaneous voice and data. And that's a great feature. Not everybody uses, but it, it's absolutely awesome to have uh, that capability when you need it. I mean, they, Apple even advertises that. Uh, that's no longer going to be a differentiation. I mean, literally, it's going to be which network do you like or which network uh, works best in your area. Uh, that you can choose and, and your iPhone experience is going to be exactly the same other than maybe a little bit of speed difference depending uh, that's what 
the customers want. That's what Apple wants. That's what makes everybody happier. And this is a, obviously a great thing to have included. So if the iPhone 5 is not going to have LTE, what about the next one, whether it's the 6 or whatever they decide to call it? And, and my guess is yes, almost certainly. So to, to find the answer to that, we have to look back to Qualcomm. If you recall, the, the, the MDM uh, 6600 chipset was released uh, back or announced back in March of 2010 by Qualcomm. Um, it was leaked out uh, nearly uh, a year before the uh, the Verizon-based version of the iPhone was available. So if we look at the iPhone 6 and say that's going to be coming sometime in 2012, we got to look at what Qualcomm is doing right now. And uh, to to, uh, to see that, let's talk about what happened back in February. Well, and, and that's what you exactly what you have to do. These Apple products don't design themselves in a course of a week and you can't take a chipset. Uh, let's copy and paste the, the picture of the chip on your circuit board and we're good to go. That's not how it works. You need to you need to get those actual running chips in. You need to get them designed. You need to t- test all these things. You need to build them, make sure they work. You don't do that in a couple of weeks. The chipsets are just announced. You can't go and build this thing and have it out the door in two months. It, 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 that would, I mean, these, these products you have from Apple that you really, really enjoy because they're rock solid, that's not what you'd get. You'd get this hunk of junk that barely runs. I mean, it, it's just, it, it goes against what they need. So yes, a year in the future, and that's really how you have to look at this. So here's how I see this playing out. So Qualcomm unveils its next generation of chipsets back in February. That includes one chip called the uh, named the MDM9615. It's going to provide enhancements for both modem performance and power consumptions, but also some more back-end stuff like uh, board area and, and BOM expense. And that, that specific chip will be supporting LTE, HSPA+, EVDO, RevB, CDMA, GSM, and the Chinese standard TDS-CDMA. So this is one of those Gobi chips that supports everything, including that all-important LTE. Now, the baseband chip is likely to work side-by-side with, with what we'll know as some sort of A6-type processor, right? I mean, we'll see the A5 in the next generation of the iPhone, um, and probably something that's like a, a dual-core 2 gigahertz or some ridiculous thing at, at some point late you know, 2012 or something like that. But uh, I think that that is uh, that they're going to work side by side. This 9615, uh, according to Qualcomm, will be available in late 2011, which is perfect timing for Apple to start the testing and have them in production uh, about a year later. Yeah. And and, and what kind of really plays into this, uh, I I guess if I'd play the uh, maybe the slight, slight skeptic, maybe it won't be the exact iPhone six, but it'll definitely be the one right after that if it's not the iphone 6 but i have just this kind of the somewhat gut feel that the rumors you've heard that the september release of the iphone uh may indicate that the next iphone like the iphone 6 may not actually be uh until the spring of 20 uh 20 what 13 so we may have another 18 month window uh, that I, I, it, it just uh, you may uh, take, it, take it with a grain of salt but, salt, but I have a feeling that it may be another longer release time because at that point, then, of course, the chips are better. They've had more time to design it. And, you know, I think Apple's reached the point here where their feature set really is pretty competitive out in the marketplace. Unlike the earlier iPhones, they were lacking in a lot, a lot of features that were very common at the time. So uh, since they've caught up so quickly, they may want to try to slow down their release cycles just a bit. Uh, that's just my gut feel on this, but I think Apple's definitely going to be going to this unified chipset because it just makes all the sense in the world because this chip I'm sure is an extremely expensive processor to buy in small quantities, but with the the purchasing power that Apple has, uh, it'll be uh, basically a non-issue for them because they, they can buy so many of them and integrate it into their chip. And of course it just helps their supply chain, helps the price, helps, you know, keep the cost down for actually all the consumers in the world. So it's a great way to go. Um, and, and another thing about this, I'm actually really excited to see uh, Apple going this route. Um, you know, obviously we have to actually see if it comes true, but um, because what this is going to do is force other handset manufacturers to do the same thing where they have a, a, a global released phone. We're not going to see these thousands of HTC variations of the one same phone because each one has a different band for a different part of the globe for a different frequency. It's going to be kind of an, they're, they're going to be able to sit back and design a really good phone that they can release globally. Uh, and I think that'll really actually help the entire market with the quality of handsets that we see uh, out uh, with the competition for the Apple as well. 
Boy, I, I hope you're right. I think it makes sense. Uh, you know, it makes sense for one specific phone because you can you can bring in all of these different standards that are being used. It's where I start to see get a little skeptical about that is when we talk about the bands that are being used, whether it's you know 700 for LTE or the the uh, 900 and 1800, like we mentioned, that uh, is going to be used in in Europe your European uh, devices that are moving forward, or uh, you know what AT and T does, where they've talked about putting stuff in the AWS spectrum, and boy, all these different bands. I mean, we're talking about I think seven or eight different bands that we could find ourselves with just just LTE, not to mention all the other standards. Well, and that is a very, very big issue, and I don't know if the processor support for these bands or for these uh, particular uh, uh, what are the standards are going to actually equate to having the exact same device. It may be where you have to have a European or a global or a U.S. or, or whatever you know region-specific uh, device with a specific baseband radios and antennas. Uh, that are designed for those particular frequencies that may be something we see but of course then it takes it it, it offloads the main chip design and the main processor design which is the expensive part off and it pushes it out to the to the secondary systems as opposed to the main system on the phone Mm. either way i really see uh an iphone 6 or whatever we want to call it being the one with lte um, I, th- this all kind of came together for me this week. And, and I, I'm, I'm telling you, if you're someone who's looking for an LTE iPhone, uh, I, I'm, I, it's not going to happen this year. Just, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be the no, next one abs- after this. Absolutely not. Go ahead and grab the one right now that, that you want to have, because, uh, by that point, it's going to be, it's going to be in the future. And, and, and my gut feel, it's actually going to be a little bit longer than a year, but, uh, uh, it's it's something where it, you know if an iPhone is really what you want to have, uh, I would say go go grab one because you know the iPhone four really is a nice phone. Yeah, absolutely. I I could not d- disagree with that. It's one that I use uh, every single day. In other uh, iPhone news, uh, BGR this week says that the uh, the T-Mobile version of the iPhone is going to be coming soon. They revealed a prototype iPhone uh, containing T-Mobile's USA 3G bands. Apparently, it has the model number of the N94. Uh, that compared compares to the Verizon model being the N92 of the iPhone 4, and then that AT&T International model being the N90. The photo shows the device with the T-Mobile carrier identifier as well as a 3G symbol right next to it. That, of course, would mean that it would be supporting the 1700 megahertz AWS bands, something we've not seen in any iPhone to date. However, Jonathan Geller pointed out that nearly 10 months into the product cycle, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Apple to bring an iPhone 4 to market right now on T-Mobile. His theory is that Apple is testing out the iPhone on T-Mobile's network, just using the current hardware to potentially bring something uh, to T-Mobile here in the future. Absolutely, because if you were a, a manufacturer like Apple or anybody, and you're testing a new chipset, you, you just use what you have to insert that new radio in. Because, that, I mean, that's much easier to do. Why, why reinvent the wheel when you already have a phone that works great? You know actually kind of how it responds and how it works. Put a different chip in it to, or a different radio or a different uh, antenna in it to see how it works. And, and, and that's right. This really could be just a test model, too. Let's see how T-Mobile bands work. Uh, let's uh, check this out. This could be something they've been working on for a, n- a number of years, and it may just be something that this is the only one or a handful of them that are out there. Obviously, with AT&T's acquisition of T-Mobile, the, the maybe the pseudo plans to build a 1700 device probably will be going away. I, I just This I don't have a real strong feeling on that uh, Apple's going to be putting out a T-Mobile uh, device. I just don't. I just don't feel that one. A couple other things with this. Nine to five Mac pointed out that the N ninety four may be a little bit more than just an iPhone four. Uh, they said that they found information a few months ago showing that the uh, the N ninety four prototype is actually running a processor. Uh, that is the A5, so the same one in the iPad too. So this could be a next generation model. Uh, but you got to wonder why is it only showing 3G then? Why, if this was going to be pushed out on T-Mobile, don't you think they would be putting in the HSPA Plus bands, which uh, you know is you know the, the marketing behind that is 4G. So why would they not make this a 4G T-Mobile device? But I don't know. I'm I'm just speculating on that as well. This is this is really rumorific stuff, and so no no real facts behind this at this point. It is. And of course, having an A5 in there, that makes sense, too, because they maybe want to, you know, test that processor with this. And, you know, they may want to test all the variations. I mean, if you're if you're going to be 
building something like this, you know, test these things out, you know, not saying 4G versus 3G, that's such a simple software switch that that's a, that's, that's a complete non-issue because that's just a cosmetic thing that can be changed at any moment in the software. So uh, I could totally see why that wouldn't say 4G on there because technically I, I don't think, I don't consider it 4G, probably Apple doesn't either. Yeah, I, that's, that's absolutely, that's absolutely what I think too. And uh, one more piece of Apple news here. I promise this will be the last piece of Apple news. White iPhone, this week, the 27th, it looks like it's coming to Best Buy, among other places here in the U.S., and uh, the U.K. already has some of them. They've accidentally sold a couple of them, apparently. So if you're looking for a white version, all three of you that are left out there, go buy one this week. You'll be able to get it. And that's all we're going to say about the white iPhone. Microsoft and Nokia on Thursday announced they've agreed to terms concerning Nokia's use of Windows Phone 7 across its devices. While the product roadmap is set for the, ne- the next several years, including the release of the first WP7 Nokia device shipped sometime later this year, neither company expects a wide range of devices to be launched until 20. 20- 2012. The goal is to bring WP7-based Nokia phones to new markets at new price points to help increase adoption. Further, Nokia said that they will supply all the mapping and location-based services using uh, Avi Maps. Nokia and Microsoft will launch a new Nokia-branded app store, which will merge the WP7 marketplace with Nokia's operator billing agreements. Finally, Nokia's developers will have the $99 Windows Phone developer fee waived for the first year, hopefully enticing them to write apps for the WP7 platform. RIM on Tuesday officially released its BlackBerry playbook, making it available in retail stores across multiple countries. However, an issue began to crop up as the early adopters of the tablet tried to connect their AT&T BlackBerry handsets to the playbook via the new bridge service. BlackBerry's app world lists the bridge as supported by all carriers except for AT&T. AT&T confirmed Tuesday that the that the bridge application was in fact not working, saying that AT&T is working with RIM to make the BlackBerry Bridge app available for AT&T customers. We have just received the app for testing and before it is made available to customers, we want to ensure it delivers the quality experience for all of our customers. CrackBerry reports that you can still download the BlackBerry Bridge over the air to your OS 6 device. And while still a workaround, we'll put a link in the show notes on where it can be downloaded and uh, we'll function with no issues. Well, that's still very frustrating. I mean, let's get this device out. Let's get it working on everybody. And that's this is where you run into this problem where, you know, RIM is the manufacturer, the third-party manufacturer, and they're the they're kind of the monkey in the middle here where they're being controlled by the carriers and not the other way around like what Apple has. Even though they're they're still under the carriers, Apple's negotiated to where they have control. And that's why, you know, sometimes you get a better experience for the customer because you know, the carriers just, they, they get in the way in a lot of cases like this. And this is, this is really frustrating to see this because that is the, one of the features that you really have to have with your playbook to even have an email experience native into it that you're not using a web browser on. Uh, it, this, you know, this really uh, just doesn't really bode well for RIM here in their release because it, it, it's just kind of missing the whole point. And of course, uh, lacking BBM, that that just blew me away because that was, of course, one of the majorly promised features. And that's the one thing that BlackBerry really has going for them is BBM, and it's not there. However, they did say that a software update will be coming within the next few weeks, and it'll you'll be able to get it over the air and really no big deal. But still, frustrating, right? I mean, that's something that you, you would have expected them. I mean, that is one of the core things that they have. You'd expect to see BlackBerry Messenger right away absolute core that should have been top priority i mean that's should have been before doing anything else uh i mean even before the calendar get the bbm working i mean that that really uh, i don't know how they could have messed that uh uh messed that up because they really did yeah well anyway the the playbook is out there so if you uh would like one you can go buy one they're available in uh, multiple countries now including the u.s and canada and uh, we'll be going international here before too long. T-Mobile on Wednesday released the LG G Slate, the 8.9-inch Honeycomb tablet, uh, for $529 with two-year agreement and $100 mail-in rebate. The Android 3.0 device is 3D-capable with an HD display Integra 2 chipset. The G Slate will also connect via the HSPA Plus network and output 1080p video. 
And recent speculation about the possibility that the droid Bionic has been canceled prompted Motorola to release a statement on Tuesday regarding the device. Motorola said, based on compelling feedback since CES, we're incorporating several enhancements to make this an even better customer experience. First announced at CES in January, the device was originally planned to ship in the second quarter. The Bionic is now slated to be in customers' hands by September. Samsung on Thursday announced the Samsung Droid Charge coming to Verizon. The charge was first announced at CES with an unnamed LTE smartphone title. The device features a 4.3-inch Super AMOLED screen, 8-megapixel rear, plus front-facing cameras, 1-gigahertz processor, and will run Android 2.2. The device officially goes on sale April 28th for $300. Verizon and Novatel on Monday released the MiFi 4510L, an L, uh, 4G LTE-enabled mobile hotspot generator. The 4510L was first revealed at CES. It will connect to both the Verizon LTE 4G network and the 3G network wherever 4G is unavailable. It is online at verizonwireless.com and will be, or it's also in stores now as well. $100 is the cost with a two-year agreement. Well, if you're looking for another way to support the cell phone junkie, you can join us on TCPJ Unlocked. It's our bi-monthly premium podcast, $5 a month or $45 a year. We'll give you in-depth conversations about the latest in cellular issues, interviews with industry experts, and much more. Sign up is easy. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com and click the link for TCPJ Unlocked. Well, this past Tuesday, the Unlocked show number 81 was released, and we discussed data caps and what you can expect to pay when traveling, and also how the landscape of mobile data usage is changing for you subscribers out there. Uh, Angel had a follow-up comment about the show, and he said, I just listened to the latest Unlock show on data and international usage and had a quick comment when provisioning the international package for data. Do your research on where you are traveling. There are very specific countries where plans will and won't work. I've had friends who went from the U.S. to Greece to various locations in the Middle East, and while he had an international data plan in countries that AT&T approved for the plan to work, he was covered. But in countries that aren't on their list, he was paid or had was billed at the pay-per-use international rate at two cents per per kilobyte. My suggestion is to always do your research on the countries uh, your data plan actually covers before you travel, and never take your phone to stores represent or take your stores representative's word without looking into it yourself or by getting written proof. And I think that's a great one. And it's not just an unlocked topic. And that's why I wanted to share it is because I really felt uh, it was important. We're coming up here on some summer travel season stuff. And for those that are out there and traveling internationally, make sure you do your research before you go. Yeah, and as we mentioned in the show, the carriers really do have uh, fairly good international sites where they, they provide the list of countries and even in some cases the cities that you that the, the, the service is in and what those exact rates are because it varies like on I know on Sprint side. Uh, depends on if you're using CDMA. If you're in Asia, for example, in Southern Asia, you've got CDMA coverage, and those are billed at different rates than if you've got the if you're on the GSM networks there. So there's a lot of information that you really have to do dig into and, and make sure you do your homework uh, on the web because they do provide quite a bit of information and also call their international support lines. Uh, they they're run by different people and they're almost always extremely helpful and knowledgeable uh, in my experience uh, on both Sprint and Verizon side of things. Hmm. That's a that's great advice and uh like he says get uh, get some proof for yourself to make sure that you're comfortable with where it is that you're you're going and you know what you're going to have to pay and uh, don't get slapped with a huge bill when you get back well how about some software news facebook on monday received an update to version 1.5.3 for android The app now allows friend tagging in status updates and also enhanced searching. And Google on Monday announced uh, users of the mobile-based Gmail application will be able to now undo certain actions, including archive, delete, add a label, and remove a label. The feature will work on Android and iOS devices and will appear in the form of a yellow box at the bottom of the screen for multiple seconds following one of the actions. Engadget this week found a promotional video for a soon-to-be-released iOS and Android application called HBO Go. The app will allow instant and unlimited access to every episode of every season of your favorite HBO shows. The app and streaming service will be free to HBO subscribers over both Wi-Fi and 3G with a scheduled release date of May 2nd. The dev team announced Tuesday an untethered jailbreak of iOS version 4.3.2 for the iPhone 3GS, iPhone 4, iPad 1, and third and fourth generation iPod Touches. The tool, known as Red Snow, provides access by downloading Red Snow 0.9.6 Release Candidate 13 for Mac and Windows in the iOS 4.3.2 IPSW file. 
Skype on Tuesday released an update for its Android software, fixing an issue that allowed malicious third-party apps to access user data. The update also adds the ability to make voiceover IP calls over a 3G connection, though not compatible with Verizon wireless devices just yet. The update is available in the Android market for free. AT&T said Tuesday that it had began distributing the Windows Phone 7 Nodo update to users of the Samsung Focus and LG Quantum. The update should arrive to all users within the week and takes about 20 minutes to install. And Verizon Wireless announced Wednesday that it would begin updating the Samsung Fastenite to Android 4. Uh, 2.2 Froyo starting Thursday, April 21st. The update can be downloaded from Verizon's support website. Well, one comment this week came to us from Jeff, and he says, Hey, Mickey, I was not sure if you were dis- if this was you It was discussing the $60 T-Mobile plan, but just so you know, I did receive an email from T-Mobile about 30 days ago offering that to me. I even logged into my account to validate it. Instead of a, a limited anytime minutes, it was unlimited, and with with that, it was the normal 5 gigabyte data plan. I went in to check and see if it was still an option, and it is not, at least on my account. It must have been offered, then rescinded quickly. Uh, thanks, uh, and love the show, Jeff. So this was a very interesting one from Jeff, because something we talked about on the Unlock show this week, and something that we've been kind of speculating back and forth about on uh, on this show as well, is the different plans that they had, where you've got the 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 $80 plan and then the $60 plan on T-Mobile, depending on whether or not you take the contract option or not. And what it seems like is you've got the $60, what they call it, even more plus plan or something like that. And and this particular plan does not seem to be available anymore. And and those that have it, of course, are grandfathered in. But if you didn't take it when you saw it, it doesn't look like you can get it anymore. So if you're looking for an unlimited plan on T-Mobile, though, uh, they do have the one. We talked about it last week, $80, unlimited voice, unlimited uh, texting. And uh, I think it's two gigs a month for uh, data and then anything over the two gigs is still unlimited. It's just throttled. So you do have that option for $80, but it's the $60 plan. And as Jeff says, he did see it and it's not there anymore. So it seems like it was uh, taken out very quickly. So uh, interesting there. And thanks, Jeff, for sharing that. If you've got any questions or comments for us, send us an email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or you can give us a call 206 203 3734 or if you prefer to text 775 773 TCPJ. That's 8275 is the way to do that. And of course, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the cell phone junkie or on Twitter at twitter.com slash cell phone junkie. So Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at the cell phone junkie.com. <laughs>